My name is Kevin Ward. I'm the program director of the Sports Animal Radio Network at ESPN in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm also the sports ministry deacon at the Park Church of Christ in Tulsa. I've been involved in radio sports for the better part of 30 years and have served as a deacon at the park for the past decade and at the Guthrie Church of Christ for many years before that. Suit Up has been prayed about for many, many years, and I believe it is inspired by the Spirit to tell faith stories from people involved in sports. I'm also thankful to the Park Church of Christ for believing in this ministry. Now let's get started and suit up. In this episode of Suit Up, I'll be talking with legendary high school football coach Alan Trimble. Alan was the head coach at Jenks High School in Oklahoma for 20 years, stepping down after the 2017 season. In the process, he accumulated 242 wins against just 41 losses. Allen won 13 state titles, more than any other football coach in state history. He also had four teams that played in title games that didn't win, which means he played for the gold ball in 17 of the 20 years he coached the Trojans. In September of 2018, Max Prep's website listed their 50 greatest high school football coaches of all time, and Alan Trimble was rated number 15. In the interview you are about to hear from November of 2018, Allen was 28 months into his diagnosis with ALS, which was announced in July of 2016. You'll notice the rhythmic way in which Allen answers the questions due to his struggle with holding a long breath of air. Even though I've said it many, many times since I've been with the sports animal for almost 13 years, that Alan goes to church with me at what is now the park, Church of Christ. When I first started, he was a deacon involved with the youth ministry. Uh, I then also became a deacon, and so we had some uh, meetings in that regard. And uh, how many years now as an elder at the park? I'm into my third year now, Kevin. Third it's year. It's been a lot of fun, yeah. I knew about Alan Trimble, the football coach. What I didn't know was Alan Trimble, the man. And there are a lot of people out there that only know Alan Trimble, the football coach. We're going to introduce them to Alan Trimble, the man. And we're going to dig deep here into uh, a lot of topics. Let's go back to Cleveland, Oklahoma, where you grew up. Tell us about growing up in Cleveland. Man, that was a long time ago. I was a 1981 graduate of Cleveland High School, the Cleveland Tigers. Before that, uh, I was born in the Pawnee Indian Hospital, August 14th, 1963. Uh, had a little sister named Kim, and we grew up about 25 feet north of where my mom was born. Uh, <laughs> she, she was born and raised in Cleveland, and my mom and dad bought the house across the street, and that's where they still live. After, I think they've been married 55 years, but uh, just a small quaint town, oil field, Love sports. All, all we did in Cleveland was play little league baseball, little league wrestling, uh, and then when I got into you know school age uh, at Cleveland, you got to play football for the first time in eighth grade. So fell in love with that sport. Honestly, baseball was probably my best sport, but football was probably my passion. You know, Dad was uh, worked in the refinery his entire life after he got out of the army. So uh, just that's just a typical small town kid. Hard work, a lot of sports. Uh, studied every now and then uh, at school. <laughs> so what about what about um, your relationship with uh, Jesus? Did that start in the home? Was that it? Would you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, and you know my uh, my dad's parents, uh, my Mima and granddad. Uh, my Mima's dad was a Southern Baptist preacher for his whole life. That's all I ever knew. And 
my mom's side of the family grew up Church of Christ, and when mom and dad got married, uh, they decided to go to the Church of Christ. So I have never known anything different than that. I mean, we we never missed. My mom and dad drug me there all the time. And, you know, one thing about it is I look back, you know, being 55 years old now, so appreciative of that. There were times growing up I'm just going, man, we can't even miss Sunday night, you know, to watch Wild Kingdom or something like that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I got baptized in ninth grade. I remember that. That was a big event. And uh, almost, you know, back in those days, I was almost uh, relieved to get that over with. I mean, I'm very thankful for that. But probably, Kevin, just developed my my own faith uh, after I went off to college at Northeastern State. But, you know, that, we were, you know, we were church-going people, and my, my parents still do Meals on Wheels and widow outreach and things like that so nothing has really changed so when did courtney your wife enter the picture well kevin that's a good story um courtney was in my fiance's uh social group at oklahoma wait what wait wait what yeah i know i always say that to get everybody's (laughs) attention but uh i fell in love with a young lady that was a student at oklahoma christian and i was actually at a they call them social groups they're not sororities but i was at a a group softball game watching everybody play and Courtney tried to make a play in the outfield and her glasses fell off I didn't even know her name and broke uh, I was in my very first year coaching at Owasso and one of our booster club guys owned a uh, he made eyeglasses and so just as a favor to this young lady that was in my girlfriend's group I, I helped her get some glasses Little did I know that over well over a year and a half later, long after my fiance dumped me, <laughs> that Courtney and I would run into each other. She was actually from Collinsville, and uh, I was coaching at Owasso. And I don't know, about a year and a half, two years later, we started dating. And as they say, the rest is history. I got to ask you, let's go back to being dumped, because I have been the uh, dumpy many times in my past. When you start looking at your life and some of those times where you think, I don't know that it's going to get any worse than it is right now, and you look back at that and go, oh, my word, if only young Alan would have known, you know, that was not that big a deal. But at the time, I'm sure it was a big deal. And and how did you rely on your faith to get you through that particular time in your life? Man, that is a great question because, you know, I did I do chuckle now. But I will tell you, for a few months, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. I, uh, she was the first girl that I ever really fell in love with, and certainly the first girl that ever broke up with me that I was in love with. And it was devastating. I was just, I mean, work became difficult, uh, church became difficult, breathing became difficult. Uh, this is sad, and I'm not suggesting anybody would try this. But I had the uh, Nintendo Jeopardy game completely memorized. <laughs> I would go home and play Jeopardy for hours. So I'm a really good Jeopardy player now because of that. But <laughs> looking back, you know, the way the Lord works, it was devastating. I probably didn't handle it very well. But I would tell you, uh, everything in God's time, it has helped me so much. I mean, it helped me as a head coach. It helped me as a husband. It helped me as a father to understand, you know, that there are going to be tough times. It's very important to rely on the Lord. You know, at that time, I was very young in my faith. Like I said, it was it was super challenging. But over time, it has become a great learning experience and, and helped me help other people now, you know. So mm-hmm. it, it was a good experience, just a challenging one. 
So now you have met Courtney. You're coaching at Owasso. So after you uh, graduated from Northeastern State where you played football, uh, how long before you started coaching? Was it immediately? Yeah, I went. I actually went back uh, in the fall of my fifth season. So I played my fifth season, graduated midterm, and began at Owasso uh, in the spring of 86. So. Okay. Uh, started midterm. I was very fortunate. I could teach math. My degree was in mathematics, and that's what got me. That's what's gotten me every job I've ever had. But I started there, and and uh, you know, coaching three sports, teaching middle school math, and and just kind of worked my way up from there. So uh, the father of two beautiful daughters, and I can say that because I know them both, and they they absolutely are. How long uh, before you started having kids? After you, got we married? waited five years. Okay, uh, yeah, Courtney was working hard in her career at Granger. And of course, I was paddling my boat as hard as I could to try to climb the football ladder. What happened to get you out of coaching and into the oil patch? Okay, well, briefly, I, you know, when I went to Northeastern State, I had hurt my knee, so I, I was hurt. I couldn't pass a physical. I'd actually never went to Tahlequah. I'd never been to Tahlequah before. My dad just loaded me up and dropped me off. But I was a pre-engineering major. I thought since the oil field was what I liked, that I would get a, a degree in that. So fast forward, you know, I'm working at Owasso for four years. I get hired at, at Jinx uh, in 1990 by Perry Beaver. Work with Perry for a year. He retires to due to health problems. Bring in Ron Lancaster. I worked for Ron for three years, 1994. Just we were nine months pregnant. Really, uh, football was getting a little bit frustrating. I had that degree. The oil field was doing really well. So I decided to take a job uh, at Coke Industries in Wichita. So we sold a house, bought a house, moved to Wichita, had a baby, got transferred to El Dorado. The Jinx job came open. My dad called me and said, hey, it's on the news. Uh, They're going to fire Coach Lancaster. So I didn't think anything about it. We were fixing to move to uh, Pine Bend, Minnesota. All this happened in like two months. We were just moving and going everywhere. And I remember going in and asking Courtney, hey, Courtney, uh, would you care if I applied for that Jinx job? And Boy, she gave me the look. You know, Tyler, our first daughter, was probably three weeks old maybe. And uh, she gave me the look, but she said also I could go do it. So uh, we interviewed three times there, got offered the job, and moved back to Jinx um, probably about six months after we left. What was the competition like for that job at the time? Well, it, it was huge. I knew I didn't have a chance. I didn't. I didn't have any uh, head football coaching experience. In fact, I had been the head boys and girls track coach in uh, in 1995. And actually, this is a little known secret, but we won the first girls track and field championship in Jinx history in '95. Uh, and I've been a head uh, junior high wrestling coach. That was my experience. So <laughs> that was the resume I turned in. Uh, as I recall, there were over 80 applicants, um, guys from all over the place. Rick Jones, I know, was one of them, you know, who's a Hall of Famer, and uh, several others. So I knew I probably didn't have a shot, but I did get granted an interview. I can't remember. It seemed like they interviewed in the first round maybe eight guys or ten. And I thought, well, that was really nice. I got an interview. But then I got called back, and then I got called back again. I, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, the third and final interview was a, a panel of 15 questions that you could not imagine, uh, from <laughs> college credits to 
college recruiters to how do you get along with the the choir and band director. I mean, it was all over the place. It was the most challenging and stressful thing I'd ever gone through at that that young age. I know that you are your relationship with the Lord is well advanced now than it probably ever has been. Uh, and it is for a lot of us as we get older and we get to understand that that relationship needs to, to be better. What was going through your prayer life and through your, with your faith when that jinx job came open? Were you hitting your knees every night because you wanted this job badly or what was the thought process at the time? Well, there was a lot going on. Uh, you know, we had um, February 9th uh, of that year, uh, Tyler Rose, our first daughter, arrived in a blizzard in uh, in Wichita. And that was my first miracle. You know, you hold your first kid for the first time. Mm-hmm. Man, you just realize that there is something, someone way, way beyond you. So that was a real faith-building, exciting time. Um, probably the... You know, again, we, we were trying to decide whether we were going to move to Minnesota or not. But uh, then you uh, you get offered the Jinx football job, the, the famous tradition program. You have no idea how you got it. You're all excited. There's a press conference. Everybody thinks it's a big deal. Uh, and just to bring everybody up to speed, there was a huge divide in that community. There was a uh, a very strong loyalty to Coach Lancaster because he was so successful, but yet the school had decided to dismiss him. So there was a huge, you know, pro school. So I inherited just a complete snowstorm. I mean, it was rough. I had no idea what I was walking into, but it didn't take long to find out. (laughs) And that's when I dove on my knees. I'm just going, what have I done? Really? I'm going to walk into this firestorm. I have no idea what I'm doing. But, uh, you know, just um, I learned uh, my first guy that I worked for in Owasso was a guy named Larry Carricker. Uh, the very first meeting, I watched Larry address his team. He told the story of David and Goliath and how David could have looked at the giant and said, you know, he's so big we don't have a chance. But with his faith, he looked at him and said, you know what, he's so big we can't miss. And I thought, wow, hmm. you know, So, but, but Larry – and I love Larry so much I put him in my book because he was uh, – since my, my high school football coach was a wonderful mentor and spiritual guy, I didn't have any of those in college. Uh, and then I get Larry. So I, I've always, even when I was a track coach, I wanted to incorporate faith and give the kids opportunity to understand that the number one priority is your faith. And I was very blessed at Jinx that they allowed me to do that. They didn't let me preach or anything like that, but mm-hmm. we created a lot of opportunities for young people to grow in their faith and put them in front of a lot of youth ministers. But uh, it was it was tough. So I just did what I learned in the Oklahoma oil field. I hired good guys. We worked really, really hard. We worried about what was important. We tried to not worry about what was not important. Just, you know, as we say in Cleveland, keep your plow on the ground. And, you know, we inherited a great team, a lot of good kids, and that first year flew by, and uh, we won, I think, 13 games. It was pretty wild. When you became a head coach, and now everything is on you, you get to decide everything from <laughs> yes. where the, from the helmet decals all the way to the offensive and defensive philosophies, how you want – you know, uh, certain alignments and, and stances. And I mean, every, all the way down to the, the detail, 
And I'm assuming that you loved actually having all of that and being able to dictate that. But but what did you what did you uh, recall and call on as far as when you started to set in motion a philosophy that this is how an Alan Trimble program is going to be run? Well, I you know I went and uh, I look back at some of the people that I had worked for, some of the people that I had played for, and just took the things that I agreed with and thought would be good. I always I've worked in a lot of different environments. The toughest environment, though, is working for a guy who motivates with fear, a guy who is driven by winning only. And I felt so uh, shackled in that environment. And I just made it myself a deal that I would try to hire really good Christian guys and I would try to empower them. I wanted everybody to have equal footing. I remember sitting in staff meetings as a young assistant uh, that was being run by a tyrant. And everybody sitting around the table would always say yes to every question. They just wanted to, you know, self, you know, save their own skin. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how in the world can you get better when no one is thinking for themselves? I just, it just, I couldn't get over it. So I wanted everybody to have equal footing. I wanted everybody to consider that it was their football program, not mine. And uh, so I went out and tried to hire some good guys. And again, we focused on making better people. Um, we we want to build their character. We want to build their faith and all those things. We really believe and work hard on building young people and really think that winning is a byproduct of doing a lot of little things right. So, Tori, two years younger than Tyler? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So you, you're the head coach at Jinx, and then two years later, here comes Tori. Here comes Tori Allen Trimble in uh, uh, March of 98, and uh, – she arrived mad. She was crying and, and <laughs> ticked off at the world. Little did I know she would be my fiery competitor. She's a junior at Oklahoma State, uh, international business, but she was f- so fun to watch play sports. She was so competitive, so fiery, and you know now it's good to see her thriving over there at Oklahoma State. All right, so things are moving right along at Jinx. Uh, you mentioned 1998 with Tory. Well, the year before that, 97, is like the team of all teams. It, it, when you talk about the best teams in the state of Oklahoma, obviously there are multiple teams from Jinx that will be in the conversation, but the one that's right at the top is 1997. Uh, that team defensively especially was just incredible. But it wouldn't be too long after that, just a few years, when you would really encounter uh, some some things that would then for sure drive you to your knees and ask the question, why? And I want to get into that when we come back out of the break. Alan Trimble is my guest, the former head football coach at Jenks, and we'll have more with Alan after this. You're listening to Suit Up. This is Mitch Wilburn, preaching minister at the Park Church of Christ proud sponsor of Suit Up. I'd like to extend an invitation to you to join us for worship at the park. We're a Bible-based church that loves the Lord and loves people. We have one service on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and that's followed by classes for everyone from newborn to 100 years of age. The park sits on a rather large lot near the corner of Garnett and the Creek Turnpike and offers a Sunday evening service at 6 p.m., and Wednesday night we meet at 7 p.m. 
Our youth have their own building with multiple men and women leading them, and our kids age 1 to 5th grade have their own educational wing that even has its own working carousel and ice cream parlor. And I love both. Kevin, the host of this podcast, is in charge of our sports ministry that goes on all year round with basketball, volleyball, softball, great activities. So come see us at the park on the corner of Garnett and the Creek Turnpike, or check us out on the web at parkplaza.org. Welcome back to Suit Up. I'm your host, Kevin Ward. Alan Trimble is my guest. Things started to turn, and not on the field as far as wins and losses, but there were some things that would happen uh, that could change, could have changed the course of Alan Trimble's life. And so, Alan, let's go back, because I asked you about this uh, about this incident, and you knew the exact day and date uh, in 2006 that you had a player uh, die in a car crash after a team building exercise that you guys had gone through. Yeah, and you know, we at that particular time we would end our summer pride workouts with a senior trip out to the paintball place, and all the coaches would, of course, show up and we would take the seniors on. Basically, it was allow the seniors to pay us back for us working them so hard. So they would they would shoot <laughs> us about 25,000 times with paintballs. And uh, Anyway, Greg Calabrese, who's now the offensive coordinator at Jinx, he and I had stayed behind to uh, to clean up and to pay. And we were heading in. It was, it was out at 49th West Avenue on the Creek Turnpike, uh, July the 12th, 2006. Right after lunch, probably about one o'clock, maybe a little bit later, and we we're driving down the turnpike uh, long after the kids had left. And uh, I look up; you can see for miles from that little hill right there. And I saw three uh, fire trucks. I saw several highway patrol, local police, and I looked over at Greg. And we were a mile away. I looked over at Greg and I said, "You know what? It is never good." Well, you see that many emergency vehicles. This is not going to be good. So as we got closer, I could I slowed down. The accident was actually on the other side of the turnpike. But I looked over, and there were like five or six of my players sitting up on the side of the hill. So uh, I jumped the median. I'm not suggesting anybody do that. But I jumped the median, drove over to the other side, and uh, walked up. And uh, there was crime scene tape, I'll never forget it, and the Oklahoma Highway Patrol asked me to stop, and I said, well, I'm, I want you to know that I'm the coach of these guys, and he goes, well, I can't let you enter, uh, it's a crime scene, we've had a fatality. And I will just never forget that, I mean, it's just gut-wrenching. So we had what we had is uh, a couple of carloads of kids that after paintball decided they were gonna shoot each other with some more paintballs, and they got into a high-speed, you know, shootout, all in fun. And uh, one of the cars uh, overcorrected, lost control, crossed the center median, and rolled several times. And one of our players was ejected and killed on impact. It was uh, it was a rough, rough day. And uh, I, I finally talked to the highway patrol and uh, determined who it was. And uh, the, I mean, just I don't know my. My mother hen or my head coaching gene just catched, you know, caught up with me, and I just asked the guy. I said, you know, we uh, the highway patrolman. I said, you know, we need to go uh, contact this kid, young his mother, because the media. It's you know, the I remember the radio was already pulling up, and I said, this we need to go tell her before somebody else tells her, and so uh, 
I went with two highway patrol to the mother's house and it was just a life changing, gut wrenching, just, uh, and I'll, I'll share this with you since we're on a, a wonderful Christian project here. Um, of course the look on her face when she opened the door and there were two state troopers and, and the coach, she knew that something was wrong. Uh, so the officer, he was such a professional and did what he was supposed to do. And I remember her, her going over and sitting down on a table, and uh, she picked up some pictures. She had been sitting there looking at pictures, and it was actually the uh, the anniversary that she had lost another one of her children several years before that when wow. they were just babies. And I just, I, I don't know, I'll never be the same. I just, I can't fathom, you know, having my own children at that time, what that lady had to go through. It was a... Uh, it was a difficult time for us. What did that do to your faith? Well, it just uh, it 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 sends you straight to your knees. It you know it's uh, you know the world tells you as a football coach you got to have an answer every twenty five seconds when the when the shot clock goes off. You're constantly in charge and you're constantly trying to fix things and you know cover every detail. Well, it's situations like that that remind you very quickly that you are not in charge and that. Uh, you know, the only true answer is your faith and your trust, because those those are those are times that you don't fix with with a mandate or mm-hmm. with a decision. It wouldn't be long, and I say long, uh, you know, within four or five years when you would be struck again. But this one would be internally, um, and you would step aside as the head coach of the Trojans because of some issues with the eligibility of a player. And I know a lot of listeners out there may recall that because it was only, you know, seven, eight years ago. Uh, That was another very trying time for you. Walk us through what happened. Well, uh, we had a a young lady and her nephew is how the story began. Um, uh, Arrive in Jinx uh, and enroll at Jinx. And uh, all the documentation and different things were not quite as they were presented. And, uh, um, you know, the athletic director and myself, uh, we went over, we made sure the enrollment process was above board. Um, Lots of different things went on. Long story short, the young man played. He was a big recruit, come to find out. You know, he, he turned out to be recruited to the University of Arkansas. We had uh, someone send a uh, unsigned letter to the OSSAA that said that there was an illegal player playing our program. Uh, we went, and this is the Reader's Digest version, so you can feel free to ask me any more details, but uh, the athletic director and I went and appeared in front of the OSSAA, uh, revealed a bunch of, of uh, facts and some of the things that we had never seen or heard other things that we had handled uh, probably not in the best way with regard to communicating to our high school principal and things like that. And long story short, after an investigation, he was ruled ineligible. We had to forfeit, I can't remember how many games, not all of them, but five or six games that he played in. Um, Just a media frenzy I will never forget you know, uh, and you know me, Kevin. I uh, I don't have any secrets from anybody. I, I I just couldn't get over some of the stuff that was manufactured. 
uh, in hindsight, you know, there are several things I could have done much more professionally. But long story short, it was de- de- uh, decided by our administration that part of the solution would be that I suspend myself and walk away from the game. And there were some parameters on that. Uh, I could be in attendance at games, but uh, had to be with an administrator and, you know, away from the team. There were a lot of just interesting strategies. So long story short, um, I got placed as a uh, elementary, uh, I guess you could say associate administrator. So I got to go work with third and fourth graders, which I really enjoyed. But that was uh, that was one of the darker times of my life. I, uh, you know, uh, as most men, you want to pick a fight with me, or you want you know things go tough. I can take that. But this one, uh, my daughters were involved because there was so much talk and so much mis- misinformation. So my girls would come home, and I remember one time Tori, the little one, said that one of her teachers said that they're going to fire Coach Trimble because he's a cheater. Um, just some things that were really, you know, the newspaper was just writing down everything they could find, and it was really tough on my family. So that was that was a easily um, the most challenging family moment I'd ever had. You can speak on this if you want, or you don't have to. But I got the feeling that you you didn't feel very supported by <laughs> the administration at the time. Yeah, and you know we'll we'll go for it. I mean, I'm retired now. No one can fire me, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, we did make mistakes. You know, uh, when you, in my opinion, when you have a successful football program, you have really good coaches, you have uh, a great school district, you have you have things that make your football program very appealing, and people want to be a part of that. And this was nothing but that. Um, this young man had no looking back. Now we didn't know this when it happened, but this this lady who moved to Jinx with this young man that said she was his aunt was not related to him. However, um, the young man had no parents. Uh, his his mom was, um, you know, uh, incarcerated, um, and she was trying to make a better way for him. And, uh, and, you know, and I've always said this, if helping a kid, you know, gets me ran off, then, then so be it. That's just the way I'm wired. But so what happened is there was a big investigation, as there should have been. It was handled by an attorney that was employed by our school district. And uh, um, they interviewed dozens of people inside the program employees outside the program boosters former booster club a a big big wide swath and uh what happened i was so shocked there was an attempt to separate the school district from me or to separate me from the school district because their, their number one mission you know at that time i had worked for jinx schools for 20 over 20 years but there was an attempt, and a very good one, to separate me away from the school district, to get everybody that was in that school district away from me. And it was the, you know, and ultimately, if you know how I'm wired, that was the biggest heartbreaking thing ever, uh, that, that I was made to be the bad guy. 
I was made to be. Uh, one of the other stories when you mentioned Volgo, uh, the other Oklahoma City station, uh, I was the Bernie Madoff of high school football. It was my favorite one. <laughs> oh, the man. Bernie Madoff of high school football. Oh, wow. So I was very, to be honest with you, it reminded me when my fiance broke up with me. I've never felt the distrust. Uh, and, you know, my vision of myself was, you know, I'm not a cheater. Uh, did I make mistakes? You know, should, would I have handled it differently? You bet. Should I have to fight my own people? No. Mm-hmm. It didn't make any sense. It was heartbreaking and frustrating to the extent that, you know, and I've never, you know, I don't have any problem with attorneys, but I've never had to hire one before. But I had to hire a legal team to clear my name. Uh, so, you know, it, it was it was awful. But I can always remember how many great people from Park Plaza or the Park Church of Christ that interjected into my life, that put their arm around my kids, put their arm around my wife, and said, hey, listen, this is really hard, but you're going to get through it. We're praying for you. We're here for you. Don't listen to all that noise, and we'll walk out the other side here sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And it um, it helped me. The biggest lesson was forgiveness, because I walked around for well over a year mad at the people that I worked for, the people that, uh, in my opinion, tried to uh, smear me. And, uh, and again, I'm not sitting here on your show saying that I'm – uh, spotless. Uh, I made mistakes. And, I did, and there was a lot of things I would do differently. But um, I learned finally how controlling and how horrible the uh, not being able to forgive. It, it, it shackled me like I've never been shackled before. And finally I made the decision through some advice from some trusted brothers and sisters at church that I had to forgive and move on. Yeah. Is there a, a scripture uh, that you kind of hang on to, and, and that scripture may have changed through life, you know, depending on the time in your life. But is there is there one that that you, that you kind of hang on to? Well, on that particular part of my life and journey, I don't know that it's any one scripture. I I actually sat down and did a research paper on forgiveness. I, I read a dozen books, and I wrote a thirty-page research paper on the power of forgiveness. But after that was over, uh, probably the thing I walked away from is just a perspective of how Jesus' trip to the cross, his sacrifice, his willingness to forgive me. Uh, I'm just sitting there going, well, who am I you know, to not forgive someone else? Mm-hmm. And that's probably what I walked away from. And it, I'm not saying that I'm perfect now, but I definitely look at life with a little bit more tolerance and and I would say love for people because none of us are perfect. It wouldn't be long after that before the uh, diagnosis would come, and that's uh, what I want to end the program on tonight is talk about that time. I remember uh, being there with a group of men uh, on a Friday morning after uh, you got the diagnosis and we all gathered up around you and we prayed for a long time on that particular morning. I remember uh, Don Milliken, who's also an elder at uh, the park with you. Uh, there was a lot of good things said that morning and a lot of men uh, who opened their hearts, but Don in particular 
uh, recalled Jesus asking God to let this cup pass from him in regards to the crucifixion. Uh, And he prayed that prayer for you. And I know that you have been on my prayer list uh, for those two years, almost every day, that I've been asking for a miracle for you. Uh, and I will continue to ask for that miracle because it doesn't matter how deep you are into the disease. God can do anything. Amen. And I don't, I, don't, and I don't see any reason to stop asking for the miracle. Um, but tell us about those, especially the day that you found out, uh, because obviously it turned your world upside down. Oh, yeah, it, it, it did. And, you know, um, Kevin and I walked around probably for a couple of years with some peculiar symptoms, uh, even had a couple of surgeries. I had an ulnar nerve transplant, uh, uh, carpal tunnel surgery, nothing seemed to work. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, the way they diagnose ALS is just a big process of elimination. They they cross out all their checklists, and finally it gets down to that. But we found out uh, in July, uh, early July, 2016, and um, for me it was devastating. I, I was a shocker. I, I would tell everybody, uh, this is probably so I could pat myself on the back. I'd gone. This was the third neurologist that I had been to in almost two years, and we're sitting there filling out the paperwork and. I'm looking around, and every poster on the wall of the doctor's office has somebody in a wheelchair or something about muscular dystrophy. Or, and, you know, I'm a football coach, but I'm smart enough to figure out that that's probably not very good. <laughs> um, so they did some more testing that day, came back one week later, and Dr. Beeson told me, I'm very probable, it's very probable that you have ALS. And it just, it was just a gut punch. I don't know that my wife, Courtney, really realized what it was, but I sure did. I mean, I remember Lou Gehrig, and I remember Dwight Clark, and there's so many, you know. So, uh, And then, Kevin, they hand you this big three-ring binder, several hundred pages, and on the cover is a guy in a wheelchair, and it says, Living with ALS. You open it, Chapter 1. Bring all your family members together and tell them you have a terminal disease. And I'm just going, well, that doesn't, you know, that's not very fun. Chapter two, hire an attorney and make sure your estate is in order. I mean, it's just, it's, there's just not, and you know, it, all the chapters, none of them are ever very good. You know, chapter three, you're going to need a wheelchair. You're going to need, a, you know, a, a breathing machine, and you're going to need an in-home nurse. And it was, it was earth-shattering. It was, you can't even describe the pain of calling your entire family together for a, Fourth of July luncheon to tell them that you're going to die. I mean, I just it was it was horrific. For some people, there's a there's a breaking point where you give up on God and you go a different direction and go. You know what? All these things have happened and I've been trying and I think I've done well and it seems like God just keeps punishing me in in some of these regards. Obviously that didn't happen to you but did you ever get close even close to the line well certainly you have a lot of thoughts and a lot of emotions if i could bounce back to the last section of the show when i was going through my trial you know with the suspension and everything a great we had a we had a friday morning men's bible study group that just rallied around me and uh 
they would not let the bad thoughts sneak in. They were just so positive. The same thing happened with the ALS uh, diagnosis. You mentioned Don Milliken and, um, you know, uh, I'm just so blessed. And there's no other way to describe my situation but that God has really guarded my heart. He He has really carried me through. He has, you know, answered so many different prayers, especially on this ALS journey. Um, even at that first Bible study that you talked about where Don, you know, prayed that prayer, um, part of me has really, uh, well, let's, I'll just go back. The, the June, before I was diagnosed in July, we were on our family vacation in Florida. I love to swim way out in the ocean. It's really silly, but there's something really exciting about being, you know, out in the food chain and you're not <laughs> on the top of it, you know. <laughs> Um, and my, one of my prayers that morning, I always do my morning quiet time swimming, was, uh, that, Lord, I want to know you better. I love, I want to love you more. I want to know you more. And, you know, 30 days later, uh, I, I, I get that opportunity. But he has blessed me. Um, as I mentioned, standing in front of the door of the mother of the player who was lost. Um, as I mentioned going home after being suspended from my job and being in the newspaper every day. This situation was even a little tougher because, you know, as a football coach, I'm a fixer. So ALS, let's uh, eat a low-fat diet, exercise more, sleep more, drink plenty of water. What's the solution? Well, like the the ALS doctor mentioned, it's undefeated. No one's ever beat it. You know, you can do whatever you want, but my suggestion to you, Coach, is you go enjoy life um, because it's going to kill you. It's probably not going to kill you today, but it's going to kill you. So God has answered my prayer that I prayed out in the middle of the Caribbean or the, the Gulf. He's, he's more near than ever. Um, and I just uh, – we made a decision – that whatever the journey is, that God is in charge of it. I mean, he, um, you know, so many of those famous guys, Paul, Peter, all those guys, they had a, they had a tough life. They had a rough journey. I mean, some of Paul's best work was in a prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my prayer, you know, lately has been, no matter what physical condition I'm in, you know, let me be a servant. Let me Let me walk the walk. Let me show other people because, you know, we've talked about job trouble. We've talked about girlfriend trouble. We've talked about health issues. No one in the world is immune to any of those situations. Uh, in fact, you can expect that it. it's going to happen. But if God is in our heart, he will. He promises a peace that passes all understanding. And that's what he's been doing for me lately. It's it's tough. I, I don't like my wife helping me brush my teeth or helping me button my shirt. I don't like that. I don't like this wheelchair. You know, I tell everybody when I retired from coaching, I was going to buy a really nice bass boat. Well, I have a wheelchair instead, you know, about the same price. But it has been such a blessing to uh, to serve the Lord and to just watch how he's been working lately. My mm-hmm. wife constantly reminds me, you know, people 
She goes, do you realize that, you know, you're in the you're in the sports hall of fame. People look at you, you know, so much differently than you look at yourself. I forget that all the time, you know, and, um, you know, but you're right. You know, sometimes when you people know you're going to die, they look at you differently. Well, uh, I, I don't know. I'm probably not the first guy to say this, but we're all going to die. Um, you know, I, I mm-hmm. uh, one of my speeches that I've been giving lately, you know, People ask me, you know, hey, what's it like living like, you know, you're, you know, you're going to die? And I, I just counter, I say, well, what's it like living like you're not going to die? You know, so I would just encourage people, uh, and this is just where I'm at, and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but, you know, I will not live one more day longer than what God wants me to live, and I won't live one less. He's got it. Um, and the sooner we all let that one go and let God have it. I'm telling you, life is a blast. It is a blast um, because you know I'm the I am I'm the guy that used to be wanting to be in control of everything. All 22 players, my two daughters, my wife, my marriage, my job, my car. I want to be in charge of everything. But this this disease, even though it's tough physically, it has been a blessing. And I'm in for whatever God, God's will is. I, I want to be healed, too. I pray for it all the time. But I also pray that God's will be done. And I'm good with it, whichever way we go, right? i got to ask you about Trimble Strong Foundation. And you mentioned a book earlier in the program that I want to circle back around to as well. Trimble Strong Foundation, obviously, is something of a real blessing that has come out of the diagnosis. Tell us about the foundation and how people can uh, donate to the foundation. Well, we, we started a little bit over a year ago. We're about a year year old. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of confusion early. Uh, everybody thought it was ALS awareness and for ALS and things like that, which is a very worthy cause, believe me. But, you know, my stance and my, my dream and my goal of this foundation was to serve others, was just to be salt and light to people. You know, just like, just share the love of Jesus with what's going on and Hopefully, people can look at me and those people who are part of our great foundation and say, you know what? These people are different. These people have the love of Jesus. You know, they're, um, like Second Corinthians, we are the aroma of Christ, and that's what we want. So we, we sponsor, we help people with adoption fees. We help people with foster care fees. We have a little school down in Honduras that we sponsor. We help sponsor the church plant in New Orleans, and we're working hard to get set up to, to uh, sponsor our friend's church out in Compton, Metropolitan Church of Christ. Um, and then we also give out some leadership scholarships to some Christian leaders, and, you know, because I just think it's so important for our future to have Christian doctors, Christian lawyers, Christian teachers. So we're identifying what we think are great leaders, and we're helping them get to get to college. So we would love to have you on our team, TrimbleStrong.org. Um, there is a place for everyone. We want teammates. Of course, obviously, we, it takes a lot of money to try to do some of these things. We'd greatly appreciate your support on TrimbleStrong.org. But certainly, we have all these events and things. If you want to volunteer and go serve, you're welcome to join us. Tell me about this book. Oh, I thought you I thought you were writing a book. Well, I'm supposed to. We've got a guy working on the format. <laughs> We've been saying that for about five years, but we are hoping. Uh, we've got the format laid out. We are hoping, um, while i got a little bit of gas left, that we can write a book. It's uh, My first book I wrote was a how-to book in football. And 
I think it sold like 12 copies, maybe something like that. Can it be found on uh, the internet somewhere? Yeah, you know what? It's uh, it's coaching football successfully, but this will be the last year. It's It's been out for 12 or 13 years. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, my new book will be a little bit more about leadership and spirituality. I'm anxious to anxious to get started on that. I don't know. None of us know how long we have on this earth, but I know this. You have made such an impact in your lifetime, and you continue to make this enormous impact on people. And I hope anybody who heard this program uh, will understand that impact, and they will go to the one thing they can do is to go to tremblestrong.org. Uh, and uh, I've got a salt and light shirt myself. Yes, I uh, do my too. wife has one, and uh, nothing else. Get yourself a salt and light shirt, and you can get that on the website. Thank you, Kevin. I would just tell you, I don't have all the answers, but anybody who's going through a tough time, no matter what it is, with health, medical, family, you name it. You can track me down, you know, on the Trimble Strong website. I would be glad to talk it over with you. God bless you, Alan Trimble. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate you having me on. My thanks to Alan for doing this interview. He and his lovely family are in my thoughts and prayers, and I hope in yours too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Suit Up. I'm Kevin Ward.